welcome everybody welcome this is sharon smith and this is iambic poetry podcast and i got here a legend a poet powerful hip-hop um literally i mean this gentleman has basically done so many things that even i when i first met him i was like oh you're a poet is like yeah cool but then i heard i was like oh you a poet <laughs> so I like to give y'all Vincent Cobell. Is it Cobell? Cobell, you said it, you got it right. B-E-L-T. The yes, T. Yes. You I'll pronounce go. the T. Okay, cool. Cobell. Vincent Cobell. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Right on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Sharon. And I remember you performing too when I was like, you were doing an improv improvisation, which I love too. Okay. You know, and I love to see you doing that uh, improvisation. So, yeah. Was it the, was it the, uh, the, um, was it the strawberry? Yeah, was it the strawberry banana poem? <laughs> no, I, you, you just like, I've seen you do like raw improvisation too, though. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I've seen you do like some raw improvisation, like not a piece that you tweet here and there, but just something that you you did. And I was like, I, I felt like jumping up there and joining you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> we might have to collab one time. Like, yeah, this, collab. Is <laughs> this is what's might. happening right here. <laughs> Most definitely. But no, nah, thank you for coming on, Ben. So yeah. I mean, we've been, I know we've been, we've been in, I've been in the circuit or I've been in the community for these four years and I've seen you um in and out sometimes. I know that um are you are you a literary teacher uh, English lit teacher or something like that? Um I'm yeah, not yeah. Sure. I have, well, I've been um well, first of all, I'm a poet before any of that. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's how I put food in the pot to okay, feed exactly. to feed my family. That's how I, I put food in the pot. But even before that, before I started teaching English, I'm teaching English this year at Tokay High School. Oh, nice. And I'm teaching ninth grade English and I'm teaching 11th grade English, which is an American lit class. Um, but for years, I taught middle school which is okay. the, you know, the fascinating age of middle school. And uh, that's, an, that's an adventure in and of itself. But before, before that, I was teaching at uh, California State Summer School for the Arts. Okay. And that was um, after years of doing po poetry, I uh, approached Tracy Gordine, who was, you know, she teaches at American, I think American River College. Okay. Right, yeah. a heavyweight poet in the area. And I said, hey, you know, I would I would love to get a gig at CISA. And I started teaching at CISA, which is a summer school. Right. And kids all across the state of California apply to get in this one month program. And they got like eight creative disciplines like. Um, yeah, they got eight. They got drama. They got animation. Um, um it's what they got, what they got painting, they got creative writing, right? And so you get all these creative types in one place for one month. It's a beautiful, amazing experience. And um, I loved it. A few times we got paid late. It was really hard for me because I was just trying to scratch and put money together. One of these times at Enron, they had, we had the Enron thing and the, the lights went out in California. Oh. And the um, the payment came two, three months late. And I'm just like, I need the money, you know, I need the <laughs> money. But it, it was just I taught there for like three years. 
then I then I got a job at a um, at a middle school, and that was that's been my that was been my go to for a while now. Um, you you asked about doing poetry in the circuit, and even before I even started doing that, I, I did something called the uh, Garage Sale Art Project, and I invited some of my friends who are, um, you know, amazing poets in the community. So we had uh, Mario Ellis Hill. Samuel Iniguez, Rob Lozano, um, Phil Govarg, uh, Andrea Porras. Uh, we and 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 I think but we have a couple others there too. Uh, but that was like our our mainstay um, in the group, and we performed at garage sales. We performed in Sacramento at Rob's house, eighteen eighteen T Street, and the whole thing is that we wanted to try to do something new with poetry. And we love the cafes, but we wanted to do like poetry in the street, kind of like street poetry, and then kind of raise money for ourselves by selling things at a garage sale. And so we had music, we had poetry, we had art. And we were, we did, we did most of them in Sacramento. We did one in Oakland, did one in San Francisco. Yeah, and one in Davis. And we got we had a grant from the um, California Arts Council too. After we did a couple on our own, we applied for a grant and we got a grant from the California Arts Council. Okay, so so yeah. so that 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 actually is interesting. Well, one thing I want to say my my daughter goes to Lodi High, so that's oh uh, I know how Lodi yeah I used to live in Lodi too. So uh, Lodi, oh, why you live in Lodi? Yeah, I just found there's a big rivalry between um, Tokay and Lodi. Yep, yep, there's, they're arch enemies. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Even yeah, though Lodi's so been there first. I'm, I'm in the middle of that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I can root for your daughter. She'll be the only uh, Lodi High School um, kid I can root for. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. No, I, I really don't know much about that. Yeah, it's a it's a long it's a long lineage on her mom's side. That's they, they've all got. Oh, wow. they're from Lodi. Yeah, they're from Lodi. Lodi. They're from Lodi. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I, Great I, festival I and all that. Yeah. <laughs> so, right, no, we'll have to talk more sometime about that. Most definitely, Michelle. Um, but, I do, but as you're saying about, about you doing the garage sale um, poetry and also even the Cal- one thing, California, the arts, um, California, um, where was yeah. that technically at? Where was that um, located at? The Cal- where was the California Arts Council? Yeah, yeah. What was that? Okay, that was in the, like downtown Sacramento. Okay. So I went in there and then I took a couple workshops to figure out how to write the grant. And there was a lady there by the name of Lucero. And uh, she helped me and uh, Josie Talamantes, I think, also um, helped out. And then that was, that was my thing uh, for a while, but I had to move. So the group was here and then I had to move to LA with my family um, at that time uh, because I had a family and things just didn't work. We, we moved to San Francisco and we were trying to get things to work there, but it didn't. And so we had to try to make things work in LA, but the group stayed up here and they did some of some events too right. on the, on their own as well. So, so, so. I'm now, now I'm questioning how how long have you been in the scene? I mean, I know I know um, the poetry center has been back in the seventies. You know, it came. No, I haven't 70s. been that long. I'm a '90s like when I came on the scene is the '90s. 
Okay. So I would have said in my poetry then hit the scene in the 90s. Okay. Mid 90s is when my poetry um hit the scene. Okay, okay, cool. Well, it's been yeah. kind of close to kind of close to the 80s. And, <laughs> yeah. I know my poetry started and then uh, my my rap started in the 90s and then started going. Yeah, yeah. Out. Yeah. But um yeah. no. So so how so being that you were in the 90s up in Sacramento was the was I know that's when the opening of the of um, um, Jose Montoya's um, um, Lewis Cafe, uh, the Poetry Unplugged was during that time. So how was the scene technically in Sacramento during that time? Was it like vibing or was it just had its own? Yeah, you know what? The the beautiful thing is the fact that I've traveled a bit. And when I was in L.A., I would go to Lamert Park. and, And they have the world stage, which is the the kind of open mic for African-Americans in Los Angeles and a cultural hub, right? Right. Um, The beautiful thing about Sacramento at that time was we could not separate into schools, right? Uh, We could not separate into slam, spoken, you know, you still had the literary uh, poets, right? You had the Sacramento uh, Poetry Center. But as far as like those of us who perform at open mics, like in L.A., they were separated by schools. Right. And you couldn't get in. It's so cliquish in L.A. Right. Right. Even if your stuff was good, um, if you weren't in the clique, then they 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 formed the shield. Mm. (laughs) They formed the shield and you weren't going to get through and they weren't going to back you. And it would be hard to to get your name out. I mean, you, you would have to find different ways. Uh, to try to do that, but you had to work your way through clicks, okay, in LA. Sacramento um, was open to all schools, right? All shades, right? All different, yeah, so all of that was going on at Luna's. Um, also, you had uh, Carol's books, right? And so you had Stajabu and Sanana did poetry on a, uh, was it a Saturday afternoon, I think? Okay. And they did there once a month, but they will come to Luna's. So we were all as Sacramento, Davis, whatever, in the region, we will come to Luna's. Everybody came to Luna's, okay, right? And, then, and so and basically what, what you had there is um, the, the Chicano community was open, right? It was started by uh, Jose Montoya, I mean, yeah. you know, Jose Montoya's son, yeah. right? And um, so... They were opened up everything to the whole community. And um, that that's beautiful about Sacramento to have that history, right? And you, you're talking about guys who the Royal Chicano Air Force, right? right. And so these were forward progressing uh, Chicanos. And here we are on Indigenous Peoples Day. And so yes, what yes. I learned though, actually growing up in the Mission District, right? Uh, around a lot of different uh, um, Mexican Americans and uh, um, Central Americans and Samoans and Filipinos, but what I learned through my journey and my teachers who were Chicano is that that the Chicanos are indigenous to this area, and a lot of people don't don't recognize that, and and so but I wanted to say that on Indigenous Peoples Day, mm. this is what Jose Montoya and and people have have his ilk, this is what they were saying. This is what a, a lot of they're saying. They were saying, 
we were here before we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. It was mm-hmm. this kind of message they were putting out. And these, these were my teachers. And, and the interesting thing too, was they were making a connect with their indigenous uh, part of themselves because we're all a blend of, of some groups, whatever ethnic group that we're in, we're a blend of our fathers and mothers people, right? Almost mixing red with blue to purple for that next generation. Um, and each group has that, right? And so um, the Chicano experience is now we think it's just Spanish, but there's a lot of indigenous um, culture and history and genes in the group, right? That was trying to trying to suppress that. So the Chicanos of Jose Montoya's generation, where they were like, we're gonna break away. They try to tell us, the church tried to tell us not to embrace it to look down on it right. and they cracked that. And so they started, Jose Montoya had a sweat lodge in his backyard. I didn't know that. Look, I did a reading one time. I did a reading one time. And um, after the reading, we went, oh no, I, they brought in this guy on uh, Jimmy Santiago Baca. My friend, Francisco Dominguez, I don't know if you've ever seen him around, right? He would bring in these major poets at Davis, I don't know how he would do it, but he's a great organizer and community activist. He brought in um, Jimmy Santiago Baca. After the reading, we went to Jose's house. In the backyard was a sweat lodge and we sweat with the poor. He threw fire that night. So um, you're talking about some serious um, history. A lot was going on at that time, but that, that's just a little, little snippet of some of, and then he, he brought in Anna Castile, who's another big time poet, Chicana poet. Um, and then after that, we went to the sweat lodge with her and we sweat with her. Yeah, it was, no, it was heavy stuff. I was like, um, yeah, I was very fortunate to be around all of that because I don't know if that's still happening. No, it's not because you only get one Jose Montoya, you know, you. <laughs> You only get, you know, you only get one. And so you got to um, appreciate um, the ones, the ones that you have, you know? Most definitely. Yeah. So, but I'm going to, I want to start, I, I, you have, you like you've been to, you experienced a lot, even from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Uh, where, where were you at in Los Angeles? What, what part, what part of Los Angeles were you at? Were you in Maine or were okay. you in the, in the outskirt areas? No, when I was in Los Angeles, my wife's family is from South Central, which oh, is now they call South Los Angeles. Right. But we, when we moved there, I moved into South Central. First, we went to Palmdale. Okay. You know, we lived in Palmdale, but then we put our girls in school in Palmdale. Okay. And um, it's just, it, my daughter wasn't being treated right. And we were like, no, they can't go to school in Palmdale. That's, this is not what we want. Right. So then we went into L.A. and um, they they were going to, at a school called Virginia Road. And that didn't work out. My daughters could read at a very young age because we read to them. You know, we played tapes so they could they could hear. We read to them at, at night. And so they were early readers. And uh, at Virginia Road at the South Central Schools, the, the little girls didn't like that. They were pulling on her hair. And I just leave it right there. And so we, we pulled and we found, my wife found a school in the Laurel Canyon, 
in Hollywood, which was an ex excellent school, right? And but once they got out of that school, we were like, we can't buy a house in LA. And where we can buy a house, we don't want to live. Because LA, South LA is dangerous place. Yeah. Yes. Right? It's not a place where you go walking. Right. And uh, the streets are long. And for so many, I mean, there's so many unsolved murders in LA. And there's so much the advertising that we were seeing, they were on the bus and all this sexual stuff and they're young girls. So we, we yanked out, we, and we said, okay, um, let's go back to Sacramento for middle school and high school because we didn't want them to have that LA mindset. Okay. Okay. That yeah. So that's, that's where we were. That's where we were in LA. So, yeah. so, so coming back into um, Sacramento, uh, where you were, were you, um, were you going, were you just finding your old friends trying to go back into the scene of everything and stuff? Or were you trying yeah, to but, look key? Yeah, well, a, a really good friend of mine, Mario is like a brother for me. Yes. So yes. I was always in contact with Mario and, and you know, Mario, his wife, who's yes, yes, um, yes. Angela's a professor of drama, Yes. you know, and actually um, I'm, I'm, I'm one of Malaya's godfathers too. To, okay. To, you know, so um, Mario was living in El Grove and then we moved to El Grove. Okay. Uh, we moved on a different side, but we would still, you know, be in touch. And and that's how we, we, we got things get going back here. You know, got our roots back here. And um, this is this is where we've been really uh, for the, you know, for about 15 years or so. Most definitely. And I know Mario's back and I know Mario's back living in Cal oh, Sacramento. So yeah, he's back too. Yeah. yeah. But but, too. but but what got you into poetry? Let's let's start there. What got you into poetry? You know what? It's it was something like it was almost like fireworks when you will put your feelings on the page. And so I would write secretly as a teenager. Hmm. So I was a closet poet, writing secretly and looking at my words glow in the dark. And just be, becoming conscious of whatever it is to be a human being, you know, didn't, you know, because I, I was doing it, but didn't know you could do it in a way. You know, it's not something that you share or, or I, it's not something that I saw other people doing. But there was a voice in my head and there was art I wanted to get out on the page and I wanted to explore my own my own thoughts and feelings, you know. And that was not something I was going to share with my friends in the hood with or in the barrio in the mission, you know. So <laughs> that's that's how it started for me. So, oh, you know what? I had one I had one moment when I was in middle school. I went to a crazy middle school in the mission called a Horace Mann Middle School. And this was a this was that we had a lot of teachers from the Midwest. They weren't from the area. Right. And here they were teaching a lot of black and brown kids. You know, and they didn't know how to teach. A lot of them quit. So we ended up having uh, like a year of substitutes, except for our gym teacher and my and um, home economics. I remember her well because, you know, I remember cooking a particular dish that was really memorable. Um, but at the other classes, I had one substitute in English. He stayed with us for about two weeks. He gave her and he told me he I wrote something. He said, you're a poet. You know, and I was like, wow, what's that? You know, and I was just that that blew me away. He made 
that's the fact that I still remember he made my day, you know, and that put me on, on a path. That put me on a path. I was like, oh, I'm a poet, you know, he recognized something in me. And so that's really like, boom, that's like a genesis there. Poetic genesis for me, you know, and, in the madness of Horace Mann Middle School. Mm, <laughs> and still going on and still going on the poetry, but still going on with the poetry. <laughs> still going on with it. What made what made you so you had the spark, but what made what? you what was your first time going on the stage? Or was it what yeah, was okay. it a stage moment or was it a literary moment of writing something and someone read it beyond beyond that spark? What what made you go further into being a poet? Wow, I like that question right there. I, I let me see. I, I try to remember a moment. And one of the key moments um, that I'm gonna remember, I'm gonna probably hit on a couple things. I, I, I had this breakthrough because all of that is just spark stuff, right? That's not a, that's not enough to be a poet, right? You got to be get on the get on the train and you're moving with it. Right. And I was on a train. I was leaving um, the Bay Area and you take you go to go in. You got to take a bus out of San Francisco and you go into Oakland and you get on get on the train. And as I'm going on the train, I'm seeing these blank walls. Right. And for me, one of um, one of the key things growing up as a kid in the mission is that you realize that murals teach kids. Those images, the images are powerful, right? So billboard images and all of that, they stay, they're impressionable on young minds. Those murals on the, in the mission were impressionable on me. So when I'm going on this train, I'm seeing all these blank walls. I felt the blank wall speak to me and said, I want an artist to paint me. And so I wrote a poem called She Stuck on That Bad Muralist from the Mission. You probably heard the poem. It's the poem, it's a poem where I howl in it, right? And it kind of starts off on, she stuck on that bad muralist from the mission. Um, that's the first line. Right, but right now, the next line is not coming. So let, let me hold off on uh, reading a couple of those lines with that. Um, so I wrote it and then I performed it, right? And what I found out is, well, as I started reading poetry before, the, before an audience, is that fed me. It, did, it, fed, it fed me beyond my body. It fed my, my, fed my mind and my spirit, right? And once you had that, once I had that, and I, I had that in Davis, and um, I, did, I did, Francisco did a first, even before that, Francisco did a poetry reading at the International House in Davis, and he invited me to read. And Mario performed, well, Mario performed a dance at that time. I don't know if you guys know this, Mario was in a dance group. Remember Heavy D? So there, 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 was, there was a group yeah. uh, in, in Bigger Than Life. Bigger Than Life Productions was in Davis, and there were a hip-hop group, right? Okay. And they, they had two, two dancers, and Mario was one of them. And these guys were incredible, right? Like Heavy D and, the, and his boy, those guys were, were awesome. And um, hip hop misses a lot of that. It misses some of that uh, early '90s energy and and everything that happened at that time. But uh, I read there, and that just fed my that fed my spirit. I connected with the audience, 
And that was something I just, I became addicted to poetry. Um, I would say uh, from those experiences, reading before the audience, because Gary Snyder says, it's not, a, not enough just to write the poem. It has to be presented to the group. Hmm. It has to be presented to an audience, right? That's the purpose of the poem. The poem wants it, right? It, it's good for it to be in the book and everything, but for a living poet, then the, those poems have to be read before the audience. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I noticed, I noticed your style is more, you, you want to perform the poem, whereas a lot of them, I hear a lot of um, poets, they just read what's in their book or they just they just read what's on the page. And then just like if they were a teacher just reading, reading the, the next chapter of, of the subject or something, they just they just read the page and then just keep going where you kind of like you get involved, you embellish, you you, you right. almost go into a storyteller mode with your poem and try to make the poem come out of the page and and come and come out to the audience in their ears and stuff. I noticed that. Is it was that something that you 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 started doing as a kid, um, or, yeah. or as a young growing up into, or was it something that you just um got involved with later on as you as you? You know what? It's for me. That's how it feels. Hmm. I can't have anybody tell me not to do it, right? Um, if a poem comes out and I just read, but for me, naturally, that's what a lot of my poetry wants to do. I can't think about it. I can't think about what the audience want, what the literary community wants, what the performer. For me, it's natural to do it. So I would impede myself, you know, and if I'm listening to my, a lot of my poems, then I'm going I'm to I'm perform. I'm going to perform the poem. That's how I feel. That's, that's how I feel with a lot of my poetry. You know, so I know that's different and like, oh, I want to be a lit. Be a lit. Now I can't get into my head about that. It's not a cerebral. It's not a cerebral thing hmm. for me, right? And some maybe the poem, the content could be, but if I feel to perform the poem, I don't want to think about it. I just want to do it. That that that's what it is for me. I think that's a, that's an interesting point. Even because you also, since you are a literary, te- you're an English teacher, you work in that literary field. Does right. that does your I always, I always have a, I always have an issue, or not issue. I always, it always, crack, it always intrigues me when I hear people talk about the way they look at free verse, or the way they right. look at um, lit, or literary poetry and stuff, and how they, they, they kind of, it's either they, they embrace it or they alienate themselves from it. And right. being that you are, that you're involved in the literary, in the literary, um department of the field and stuff right how does that how does that um does that does that help or assist your poetry or is that kind of or do you kind of like separate yourself from the teacher from the poet or do you just put them together do you merge them together? well i have to separate them and see let me give you a case in point hmm. like if i try to teach poetry in the class and i'm teaching an english class and they're used to pick a particular type of english teacher and hmm. teaching right uh, some of them don't like poetry because of the way it's been introduced to them. Right. So I have to be strategic about how I introduce poetry with them. Right. And so sometimes you can't say it's a poem with them. So what I do is is I bring in, like I brought in, um, what did I what did I bring in? I brought in a copy of uh, James. 
uh, James Wright, sorry. Okay. He, J- James Wright ha- has a poem about uh, touching a horse, like this really like special moment, right? And the kids, the language is so beautiful. They never read anything like it. When you read in a poem, it's you're not reading a story. You're not following a narrative. And so it's difficult to teach kids how to read poetry. And they get turned off because they think they're supposed to get it. They think that there's answers, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so you have to teach them how to read in a different way, right? And so each poem is, is different, but this particular poem is, it, it's how I start my writer's workshop, right? So, and they, they haven't been exposed to anything like it. So this, I want them to write about their pet, but before I have them write about their pet, look what James Wright did here, right? He did this amazing poem about, he feels like he was, he's gonna jump out of his body, a gentle moment between him and the horse. The horse just kind of nuzzling his hand, right? And it's like a, a, a moment where everything is slowed down. It's kind of a, like a timeless moment. And it's a way for the kids to see, oh, and they all, a lot of them have connections to animals and pets. So it's an inroad for me to introduce poetry to them without saying you have to write a poem. Hmm. So then what I do is, and I learned this from watching another, um, person that was in the Israel Writers and Artists Collective who did the Garage Sale Art Project is on David Barraza. He's another teacher that that came out of the group. And I went to one of his classes one time and what he would do is he'd have all the kids. Well, what happened, Sharon, is when the kids try to write, some of them get stopped and it could be, we could be in a writing exam for an hour and they haven't written a word because they're blocked, right? They want everything to be perfect. You understand? And so how do I unlock that? So when they say, hey, we're going to, um, what he would do, he, what he did is, and I saw, I saw him do it one time. I was like, okay, I got to use that for my class, Dave. All right. So he would have them write for five minutes straight, as many words as you can write. And then whoever had the most words would get candy and he'd throw out the candy. Right. And so then now they're thinking about the candy and now they're not locked up about, oh, I got to have I got to spell right. I said, no, you don't got Don't worry about spelling on the on the free right, on the quick right. Don't worry about it. Right. Uh, don't worry about grammar. Just let your thoughts flow. So it's liberating. Right. Then you could go back and rewrite it and see if you hit on something that you want to go back to rewrite. OK, so. Yeah, so then, then that's well, that's how we got. That's how that's how I do the, the writer's workshop. That's part of the, the teaching, but separate from the poet. Because as a poet, like when I taught at CISA, I'm dealing with artist types. I can just go ahead and read my poem. Right. But these kids don't even know. They want a lot. Some of these kids weren't read to. Right. And they weren't read to one. So they still need to have experiences with the narrative. They still need to have experiences with story and characters. But now to go into this mystical realm of poetry, where we are not bound by the rules of plot. We're not bound by the rules of plot. And I wouldn't be able to teach him if I just was myself as a poet, as a crazy poet that I am. No, they would not. They would not get it. And um, 
So it's better for me to wear a different hat. And then sneak in things. I, I try to sneak it in. That's there. Yeah, that's what I try to do. Most definitely. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting way of doing it. Uh, basically a motivator. Basically, instead of, instead of having them think about it, have them have a reason for them to do it. Yeah, okay. Right. So, but you see what you said too, and we started off with the Eastern, I don't, I don't, but we got on there, you asked a question and we went East. Right. This reminds me of a line that I read in a book one time to get to the prenatal mind. I was reading a book about Qigong, right? And Qigong kind of like originated 7,000 years ago with, um, you know, teenagers in China just kind of playing the movement, you know, right. and from that mother movement, is born all of these different martial arts and dances, right? Um, but um, it says to get to that prenatal mind. I think that's what we call like kind of being in a flow where you're not too self-conscious, but you're not self-conscious. You just do, you're at a high level of, of just doing mm. and not thinking about it so much. Now there's a time to think about things and strategize, but Sometimes the level when, when you're in a, in a prenatal mind and everything is just flowing, it's like a poem that came out, you know, just the way it's supposed to be the first time, which is rare. And you got everything there on the page like that. Um, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, so, you said the prenatal, prenatal void? Yeah, you said prenatal mind. Yeah, to get to that prenatal, to prenatal mind, is you you reach a certain flow in the practice of it? Isn't that called? Some people call it the lizard brain. You kind of get to the lizard brain where you're you're you, you get, get to, to the, the, where to the lizard yeah. brain. But with the eastern the eastern um, book on qigong, they were like, you reach a certain flow in the practice. You've been practicing so much that now you're in the prenatal void. You don't have to think about the next move. You know what it is, and now you could turn it off. You, you can turn it off and just do it. Yeah, I, I know um, Bruce Lee, Jeet Kune Do style, or just yeah. Jeet Kune Do, the mentality. That was, that was one of the things he used to try to get people to get. You want to get to the point where you're not thinking about the moves. You're just feeling the, the motion of the move coming yeah, from so your body. That's how the Qigong. All, yeah. of that, all of that stuff is out of that mothership connection, that mm -hmm. mothership, which is, which is Qigong, right? Mm -hmm. And Qigong is not like not a definitive like set of moves. It's a lot, a lot of stuff is about healing, right? And different things like that, so. Okay. So, so, so in the mix of you, I like the way how you, what you take the motivation and take the whole idea of perfection out of the kid's mind. But yeah. one thing that always, but says you said, you take, you separate your teacher's side from your, from your poet's side. When you, when you do, so, so I always had this little thing with um, literary poets because I know when I know a lot of I know a lot of scholars from being in the organization that I know a lot of them have to take their mindset from each other. You know, they have to, they they know they got to basically correct or you know uh, to edit whatever person's poem is whatever is coming out, but they also know they got to just listen to it as of what it is and their feeling. How do you basically differentiate differentiate? differentiate yourself from both ends how do you basically how do you basically still enjoy it but also have to correct sometimes and like <laughs> how do i enjoy the literature right right and then still like um what correct the kids 
Yeah, or yeah, or well, even co- well, correct or coach. But I know a lot of there's a lot of poets out there that are we poet the, the poetry community is very sensitive with their what people's what people say. Even if you even if it's something just to help somebody, they take it very personal. Poetry is somewhat weird, really personal. How do you basically take yourself from enjoying the poem or listening to the poem as it is, but then also trying to coach them in a way where it doesn't basically hinder their their ability or their you know hinder their make them you know level okay. up. They don't yeah how do you do that? Yeah no so then that would have been more like at CISA when I when I got all uh, creative types there. Um, because everybody's there for that. Everybody's there to kind of enhance their art. And um, so you're listening to their poem and you can kind of get a feeling of where they're going. And a lot of times what we do is that we put in excess words, anything that you could help them say clearer, right? Crystallize that experience that they're trying to get across. And then you ask questions to, is that what you wanted? Right. And then a lot of times, too, when it's, it's all new stuff coming out, sometimes the poem isn't started until the third stanza. I was like, wow, I started feeling the poem when you hit the third stanza. I feel like that's the start of the poem. Why don't you do a draft where you start with the third stanza and then work your way forward from there? So it, 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 it's 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 that. But it's not like oh, you should do this or you should do that. You kind of like. Um, you you kind of like kind of hint at things it was like and you give them like options right why don't we experiment with this or that and see then see how you feel when you read the poem and you start with that third stanza right and it's like what are you commit you're trying to communicate a particular experience a particular thought how effective were you in the audience and so then now not only are you getting the teacher's response you're getting your classmates and your peer response to see if you actually follow through with what you set out to do. Because you don't all, it's not always, you don't know if you did that when you write the poem, right? So you're like, oh, I thought I did that. And they were like, what did that mean here? And then you get a, a, another, another student will say, what, well, what did you mean here? And you, and you said this thing. It's like, well, I thought it meant this. And then now you got to go back and decide is that what I want people thinking? I'm going to leave it ambiguous or then I'm going to go in a particular definitive route for what I want to do for that line or for that stanza. Good point. So, yeah. so since you since you were brought up in the old school of hip hop and right. a lot of the way a lot of the, being a teacher and being a teacher as you are now and then as you were youth listening to hip hop come up as it did what did you what did you gain from it and what did you kind of you kind of wish they they kind of refined and kept on going with so far instead of unfortunately the way it is the way it became yes uh well i think you know what it's my generation we are like uh we are hip-hop you know and hip-hop is you know rhythmic poetry I mean, that, that's what it is. It's, it had a tremendous influence on me and my friends. And, and it still does because of the lyric lines. These are lyricists that we grew up hearing, right? Powerful lyricists. 
And we can use that in the classroom uh, for sure. Um, to me, that that was the important thing in hip hop is that you had something to say, you had something to offer, you had lyrics as an MC to bring uh, to the mic. And to me, that, that that was the important thing. And that's the part of hip hop that I come from, to being from an older generation. And what I wish is that we had lineage, you know, lineage. When we would get back to this Eastern thing and you got Wu-Tang Clan and they're watching these martial arts and it goes back to a lineage. We come from this lineage. Hip hop comes from a lineage, but people keep cutting it, cutting the lineage. And so it, so how is it going to connect back? So it's fragmented, right? And it's not reaching its pure form. And for me, that's a difficult thing to see, right? Because in America, things get old quick. And um, because of that, because of the, of the fact that things uh, get old quick, we're willing to dismiss the, that older art form, that generation, right? And so we have this, this new one. They can just dismiss hip-hop and where hip-hop comes from and, and the progenitors of hip-hop, right? And I don't know who it is to blame for that. And I'm not going to assert any blame on any one thing. It's multiple factors, but it's problematic for those of us who grew up with the music. And could you imagine the, uh, the rock generation of the 60s and 70s not having a say about what's rock? You couldn't because they're, they're a big part of that. They still got that 96.9, right? When the Rolling Stone drummer, when the Rolling Stones drummer died, they like had a whole day tribute, a whole week tribute. The drummer, right? That's respect for the art form. That's love for the for that for that rock band, right? And that's multiple generations. And so when you cut, and this is not not only within hip hop, the problem in hip hop is also within the African American community. It's the same thing. It's a problem of lineage, right? If you cut lineage and you, if you put old against young, young against old, male against female, then you have chaos in a community. You have complete chaos. And, um, and not that that's all the way true. There's beautiful things about hip hop still today, right? There's still the underground and there's beautiful things about the black community too at the same time, right? Um, but still, these are issues that uh, that we face in hip hop, right? The lack of lineage, la the lack of respect. You know, who's your lineage? Are you like you know Rakim lineage? Are you LL? Are you uh, PE? Are you uh, Ice Cube? Right? There's multiple. Are you um, MC Light? Right? And to me, uh, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the rappers couldn't hang with MC Light male or female, but definitely female rappers have gone a completely different direction than what um, MC Light and Queen Latifah laid down. They, they, that wouldn't have been tolerated. They, what's happening today, they completely sexualized the MC. Right? That, they, they wanted to be real MCs. They wanted their lyrics to count. Right. They wanted to say something. You know, and I think the audiences too, I think audience, anything couldn't go. 
So there, there, so anything goes. And then like, like we said, how many of these, um, of the young generation, when you had somebody like um, who, 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 Houdini, right? People used to say that you had a big mouth. Now to understand what you're talking about. Cause, and I remember listening to that on the radio. I would stay up late to get that. My dad wouldn't allow rap in the house, right? And so I would listen to Kapu and sneak Kapu at night to listen to Houdini and the other rap groups that were coming out at that time. But just like I told you, the Rolling Stones uh, drummer passed, right? And they gave nothing but respect. I'm listening to the station and I'm loving it. I'm like, wow, the drummers get love. The drummers get love. Now, Houdini passed. Now, that should be multiple generations of um, hip hop acts, hip hop, hip hop stations should be playing Houdini because Houdini is a foundational group. They're one of the progenitors of hip hop. They were huge. Now, they didn't like rock him and then the, the lyrics went beyond them, right? But they were in an early stage of uh, presenting the lyric. And the lyric was in an early, early stage. So, but there's, there, it, where's, the, where's the respect for, the, for them and what they did? They didn't make the money. It's just like this too. It's like Jackie Robinson, right? He didn't make the money, but everybody wears his number on Jackie Robinson Day in baseball. So uh, a lot of the ball players are like, they're making that big payday because of Jackie and they recognize something stand above money, right? And this is not what we get. We're not getting that kind of message uh, today in hip hop. We're just not, we're not getting that. And where the progenitors are not getting the respect they should get so that you could make that payday that you, that you're making. Right. And have the opportunities that you have. You're, you're, you got a good point there. I mean, a lot, a lot of the, um, a lot of the pre, the preempted hip hop pioneers are really giving, are really getting respect. Even some of them are even getting, I mean, are getting through a weird ridicule, you know, African Bambada, what he did, and even some, even some of the stuff going on with um, what happened with Big Pun, and now some of the, the early stuff that they found out about Big Pun. So, yeah, you're right. There's a there's a weird sense of this detachment from the idea of people who did this stuff before before the for trap or whatever came into fruition. It's almost as if. They're the old head. We're the new ones. So let's keep moving. It's like there's a weird dichotomy. It's a, it's a cut off. It's, it's yeah. just it's cut, I and it's like you. why? It, that that doesn't happen in rock, right? That is true. You know, and yeah. it's like they those guys deserve the respect, and you yeah. you just disrespect and just cut cut them off. You're making more money than than they did, but you're making it because of them because they laid that foundation for you, right? Mm, so. That it's, it's it's a lineage. In, 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 there's there's a, it's a lot of chaos to get into. I'm not in the music industry, but um, there's a lot of people controlling who gets out there. Right. That's right. Funny. They're controlling who gets out there, and um, um, it's not always the best talent that right. gets out. You know, that's seen and that that's celebrated by by the millennials or the next generation. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of problematic. So, so being the, so being a teacher, I, I, I know of a couple rappers that are actual, that actual literary teachers or they've gone into right. teaching and stuff. And it's, uh, I've always questioned 
how how does that feel being that you're you were brought up in this genre where you're going into a into a into an old um regulated um, right. old um um industrial right, right. yeah how how is that how is that how is that oh man that's that's such a deep question you know Sorry, <laughs> um, that's such a deep question let me let me get a case in point of why we're needed in there because we're not going to see it the same way as huh, is that let's say let's take for example my my department loves um to to read of mice and men which is and i and i love john steinbeck right and oh man it, it's an interesting thing because it's such a big part of the hip hop culture, right? That the fact that the, 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 the N word has become dude, the word dude, right? Even for non-blacks, right? So a lot of the Latino kids at Tokay, they use the word nigga, right? And they, and they use it on, on a regular basis. And what, what they have to realize is, and here's where, here's where the issue comes in. So we're reading of mice and men. When I was teaching of mice and men, let's say 15 years ago in Los Angeles to black kids who had got kicked out of um, high school, you know, and we're reading aloud of Mice and Men and we hear Curly, I think it's Curly, call the one black character, the N word, right? They cringe, they cringe, right? They absolutely cringed, but these kids, they don't, they, they, they were like, some of them were like, well, you know, so what? You know, it doesn't mean anything anymore. I was like, well, this was written. When this was written, it meant something, right? And um, what it does is, so then they think they can use it in the classroom, like this one particular class. Like, this is fresh in my mind. They think they can use it in the classroom around me. And I'm like, well, you know, once I had to, I had to say, hey, I said, if one of my colleagues call, calls me that here, I said, they're fired, right? So this is the language of the streets and the bus stop is not supposed to be here in the classroom, right? What you choose to do in the streets, that's your business. And it, it, in the, in the, but it's inappropriate here. I say, you guys are kids. So you guys are experimenting and you're trying to figure things out. And it's my job to kind of like give you a glimpse of your future self and to kind of give you a glimpse of how the world works and how it works here in the United States, right? And you can't just you become an adult and you're calling using that word at, at a job, right? Because somebody could, could pull your card at any time and you'll be fired, okay? It's not, you know, it's not anybody that, that's Black that's going to let you call, call them that. Or it's going to be, oh, you just mean dude and everything's cool. No. That's not for real. So you got to kind of give hints about that. But what I realized is for this generation, and I was like, as much as I like of mice and men, right? That when I read it, it probably is not good for that language to be read aloud for certain groups. If they're an immature group, because what's happened is the N word has normalized for a lot of people. But it's the only derogatory term that's normalized like that um, for, for an ethnic group. So you don't hear the word, 
you know, and I could repeat a lot of different, think about the different racial slurs and out of sight, out of mind, Sharon. But the N-word is there. It's in your face, right? Look, I come from a mixed background. My mom is black and my dad is white. My dad didn't allow us to use the N-word, right? He said when he was, when he was in the Navy and was stationed in Long Beach, he said he had a friend who was black that said that he could call him the N-word. And he told me, he said he wouldn't do it because it's not right. So you think of all these people consuming this, right? Consuming this racist language and then now normalized it and think they could use it in the classroom with a black teacher, right? Think they could just say it like, but not realize that, well, where's your racist term at? That's not, that's not normalized. That's not something that we just use, use freely. And I believe in free speech, don't get me wrong, but it's, we're not thinking enough about it, right? We're not, somebody's directing that, somebody's letting all this go without thought, right? And it's, it's how black people are perceived too, at the end of the day, right? <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's how black people are perceived. And so that language is there and there's money to be made to use it. Unfortunately. Yeah. You are, you're going to make money from it yeah. and you're going to get more, more buyers who are black buying that stuff. They're not thinking about whether they're participating in a, in a racist culture or they're feeding into a racist machine. None of that. So I said all that to say this, right? To say that it wasn't for me to get mad about that with the kids because then I would have lost my connection with them. Right. It was for me to have that one moment to let him know, hey, this is not the language that you're going to use in the class. This is you when you you kind of building up towards a maturity and you need to protect yourself. You can't use this language that you use at the bus stop, that you use in the streets, that you use at in the garage, at home or whatever. You won't be able to use that language in certain places. And so you got to let them know they got a code switch. Yeah. Yeah. You and so you guys, you you have you have to code switch. And it's not just about the rules. I think that's why a lot of the kids turn certain teachers off, because then it's just about conforming. Mm. Right. And so what I, I try to get them to think about who they are. I said, you you don't know who you are. So that, that's what the writer's workshop is about. They haven't been ex- exposed to anything. So it's my job to expose them to poetry, but they don't have to know it. I don't want them to hate poetry. So I'm not coming up with, this is my introduction to poetry. No, we're doing a writer's workshop. Here's this reading, here's this reading. I'm not calling it a poem because some of them already hate poetry. Mm. Somebody tried to teach them some traditional literary work, right? And um, they said, this is what poetry is, but what they said is poetry. There's the opposite to what they said is poetry too. That's still poetry. <laughs> you know, there's the opposite to it. Poetry is older than all, all of the literary arts. Yeah. You know, it all coming out of poetry. Poetry is magic. It's, it's verbal magic. It's verbal jazz. It's, it's so many different things to it. That's why it can't be defined. Mm. 
You know, nobody could, they, they, it can't be defined. That's how deep poetry is. And so basically you're trying to liberate young minds. And um, uh, it's important for somebody of the hip hop, like hip hop generation, my own generation X to be in there to kind of expose the kids to things they would not be exposed to. They would absolutely not be exposed to uh, because I'm coming from another space. Oh, okay. Like, okay. We're having a different conversation. Nobody's calling them on the N-word. Mm. They just letting it go. But if somebody drops the F-word that rhymes with maggot, everybody's going to go crazy. My N-word, nothing. Right? That's true. That is that is the the new, as they call it, the new N-word. But it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, it's, it's, it's yeah. a weird thought how that became what it is to what they, they're now fighting against for it. But right. I understand where you're going with it. Um, yeah, but what I, yeah, it, and what I'm saying is that mad respect um, to the gay community for calling people on it, right, and demanding that respect. But we don't have it on the others on the on on the other side right. with the, with the N word. That I think that's why there's that that difference in there. But what I would say is, if you're conscious like that, don't consume it. Don't consume the N word then, right? If you want to be respectful. Don't consume it. I'm gonna be respectful and not consume the F word that rhymes with maggot. That's true. You know, so and that's what I would say. Is this, you know, it's all about just respect, respecting the human being. Most definitely. So, so I was, I was wondering. I know we gotta, you gotta get cups. I know you've been cutting short. Uh, books. How many have you written? Because I've looked yeah, at well, I, I've done like um, three or four chapbooks. Okay. I did peppers for my tongue one. I did um, Peppers from My Tongue 2. I did uh, Textures of Pregnancy. I've done uh, Pinch of Salt, right? And so, yeah, these are the different things that I've, that I've done. Um, and, 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 a, and a few other things, you know? Yeah. So I, I would say about five. Going on. I see you had a little yeah, series about going five. on. About five. Nice, nice. Have you, have you ever thought have you thought about writing like a full um, binded um, book, um, you know, record, record, uh Big book, yeah. You know, I would I would love to do that. I think what I would have to do is um, kind of like be in a class and just kind of mm -hmm. focus in on it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I would have to do because everyday life gets in there. I understand. <laughs> you know, everyday life gets in there, and then you end up shortchanging your your art, your writing. You know, all of that. Most yeah. definitely. Yeah. So, but so. Being being that you're you're you've been you've been in this this um community for such a long time and stuff, what just in a few words, what have you seen that's evolved during the years you you you've ex, you know ex, um observed mm -hmm. in the community from wow. from the back and stuff. I think poetry's gotten stronger through the um through the spoken word. I think the the spoken word poets in that era, because you still have Ludus, which is a beautiful thing. You still have the Sacramento Poetry Center. We need that. But poetry is expanded. You know, there's all these different uh, poetic venues. And I don't feel like they're like closed off. You know, I think you got a uh, soul collective. Soul collective is there doing its thing. Yeah. Um, mahogany, you got the brick house, you know, um, and you got several other places, I think, too, uh, where you have people who are. Who are who are who are reading their poetry 
and getting their poetry out there. And, and there's a lot of people consuming poetry and appreciate, there's a lot, even more than that, there's a lot of people appreciating uh, poetry, spoken word, literary poetry, performance poetry. Um, so you have so many different schools now here in Sacramento uh, that even now it's, it's gotten so big that I would say, Everybody doesn't have to go to Luna. Like the beautiful thing back is that everybody <laughs> went to Luna's, but it's the poetry community has expanded so much that you don't even you don't even have to. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. My wife just came in and we have the guest here. So uh, yeah, so it's expanded so much. Um and that's a beautiful thing. You got a lot of different venues you can go to on, on different nights. You could feel like poetry, you know, beyond Thursday, you know, it's like, oh, man, I feel like poetry on a Saturday night. And you, you can go out and get that, you know, you can go read at the open mic and, you know, get your mind painted by other poets. No, it's a beautiful thing. Okay. I'm going to finish off with two questions and stuff. Uh, the first question is I always basically get this one thing to always pull out that you have the literary poets who basically write in the books, write on the um, the pages, the papers and stuff. And you have right. the stage poets that do the performances, the CDs and stuff. And there's always been a fight between the stage versus the page. Right. I'm gonna ask you, Vince, uh, what do you consider yourself? Do you see yourself stage, a page poet, or both? Wow, I, I think I would have to go with the both. I think originally that um, I think originally, like I thought, I thought for the stage for sure. You know, originally I think um, naturally the poetry comes out of me, and I want to perform it. I don't know why that is, but that's just how I feel. I feel like some of my poems need to be performed, and I just do. I do it not not because I thought about it; it's because that's how I that's how it came out of me, right? And then I did take some classes. Like I took a class with Sandra McPherson, who's a, you know, an amazing, you know, what we would say is a page poet. And she was very meticulous about how that poem came across on the page. So uh, because of that, because of her influence as a stage, a natural like stage poet, like we say stage poet performance, but it's it like, it's like a hip hop poetry thing, right? You, when, when, when they're performing that poetry and hip hop and they're doing that, that's the stage, right? There's an audience and the audience in, is engaged in it, right? And so I would say like it originally comes out, a lot of my poetry originally comes out um, for the stage. And then um, some of the work. Uh, and then after that, I want to make sure that I'm communicating clearly. So then I go back and do the rewriting. Which is which is the paid stuff, right? But I couldn't say that I'm just a stage. If I, I couldn't say that I just a, a page poet, because the stage stuff is so strong in what I do that I would say, okay, I'm a stage poet that's influenced by the page and the um, meticulous influences that uh, Sandra McPherson has had. Um, you know, when I took her class when I was just a young poet as a freshman in Davis, right? And so it's like, oh, okay, I need to go back and try to correct this and this. And then you don't want to do too much of that too. Sometimes you could do too much of that. You know, sometimes you want it just to flow and kind of be raw. Right. And I think that's the man, the power of 
of hip hop. Like we have the rules, but then the rules have to be broken too. It's like I'm saying, like kind of bring up things that the teacher has to think about. I got to bring up things for the kids to know that you don't curse in every environment. But then the reason hip hop is so powerful is because it's so raw. It's street language. In street language, you don't care. I mean, excuse me, you don't care what any, what a motherfucker thinks. Mm. You just got to come off and say what you got to say. And it got to be raw, right? You ain't going to go back and rewrite that, right? But as a teacher, right, as a father, I got to go back, even though, like, I'm going to listen to some of that, too. I'm not, so that's what I'm saying. Some of that rawness. The hip-hop was raw in the 80s, even without curse words. Think about that. Right. I got to think about the long term effects and the change in hip hop from the hip hop that I grew up with. Right. And the fact that we don't have the lineage. Right. Right. I got to move from room to room. So I got to. So yeah, I got to think about the long term, the long term effects. What is the long term effects of these images on the on the on the minds of our youth? Right. And then you see how that plays out. Right. The fact that there's not a lot of us teaching, that there's a lot of us in prison, that there's, you know, when you start taking, you start being like, whoa, whoa, how did we get here? You know, somebody has um, co-opted the image and said, OK, this is what a, this is what a man is. This is what a black man is. Right? You got to be hard. You got to be you got to be this. You got to be that. No, look where this leads. This is danger. Right. Who's putting that image out there and you consume that image and you think that's supposed to be you. And then now you got 20 years to life in prison. No, I got to try to throw a wrench, you know, where, where, wherever we, we, we do what we can, you know, whoever it is to do what they can and let kind of expand their universe because they're in this limited minuscule universe and that cell phone is sucking their brains out. Right. And trying to figure out how to sell you things. And there's a lot of beautiful things about the Internet, but it's very dangerous for kids, young kids. When you have apps that the creators of the apps won't let their daughters have a cell phone until high school because suicide rate rates jumping off the roof for girls. Right. In mid 2000s. So these these are the things, you know, that we got to think about. And we I think we got to care a little bit more about kids, you know, um, but also, too, that that rawness in hip hop is what I love, too. I, I love the street language. And, and there has to be a place for when you don't even think about when you, when you don't even think. I, like I said, OK, these are things you need to be conscious of. But there's all it's like a yin, yin and yang. There's the, let's to go back to the Eastern thing. There's an opposite to it, too. But what I'm saying, what we're missing is the lineage part is like, where does this lead down the road? You could be raw. And you could still use curse words, but then think about the curse words that's being used. And how does that play out for the lineage? You know, down the line, how, how is that playing out? And how is that playing out with relationships between human beings, sexual relationships between human beings? How's it playing out? How's that romance playing out? Right? How's that sensitivity playing out? So all of this is, you know, this is what we're, we're getting fed and then we want, the kids are getting fed this. And then they're mixed up. You know, they, they, don't, they don't know what to do. They're getting, they're getting all these mixed messages. But we really don't have romance on the level that we, the, the romance that we consume. 
uh, when we come, all the uh, early hip hop acts were already influenced so strongly by R&B. So you have kids today who's, who don't even know about those R&B acts that helped to contribute to hip hop and why hip hop had to be such a, at a high art because they had to take and establish a crowd where R&B already had its crowd and they didn't want hip hop veering in and taking that crowd or even taking pieces of it. So most of what you point out is there's, there's to be a balance that was never never constructed. There, there, yeah, there, there had there has to be a there has to be a balance with it. Right. And there has to be a space for the rawness. And then there has to be a space to think about where, where it all leads because people need to express themselves. That and that that that's the main point is like in poetry, I'm trying to as a poet, it's liberating, right? The great poets liberate you. You know, you're like, wow, you know, and they take you away. Um, with the teaching, it's not it's not so much that. And I, that's why I can't. I have to separate the two um, because there's so many other things that, you know, that I'm responsible for. You know, and that would be like, what, what do I want to be responsible for? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. But the mind, if, if the right. consequences is, is uh, kids' lives, you know, then let me contribute my little piece to that. But I'm a poet first. You know, I love to teach. Right. But still, like, there is a big part of me as a poet. And um, that's how, you know, that, that, feeds my, that feeds my mind, feeds my spirit. Most definitely. So, so this is my final question. I always, and I always ask this to all my hip-hop heads. What are your top five rappers? Oh man, that's 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 it. Well, look, um, I'm not gonna I'm in, I'm not gonna say in any order, right? I'm not gonna right. put in any order, but I want to make sure to put MC Light in the five, okay? okay. He's in my five, okay? And then uh, Rakim got to be in there, yeah. So that 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 that's Rakim. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, KRS one got to be in there for me, right? Because he he's so unique. Yeah, you know, but for me, look, I love Chuck D, so Chuck D would have to be in there for me too. Teacher, yep. <laughs> Chuck D would have to be in there for me. And then let let me try to do the yin and yang thing, and uh, let me put Nas in there. Okay. All right. Let me put Nas in there. The number. You got yeah. five right there. That's five. Yeah, that, that's five right there. <laughs> yeah, that's five right yeah. there. All right. Hey, hey. Yeah. That's that's a good that's a good mix. It's a good mix. Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta put the mix because yeah, yeah. I like different parts of hip hop too. So understandable. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, uh do you do you do you have a poem you want to do? You want to recite or, or um no, I think this time um I think this time is good. I think we had a great conversation. That's good. So, 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 so Vince, tell them, tell them where they can find you if you want them on any social media thing you want to put out or anything like that. Um, for social media, oh, I, I got some stuff on SoundCloud. Okay. I have some of my poems on SoundCloud. Oh, really? Right? Okay. Yeah, I got I got my some of my poems on SoundCloud. I have something under the Foshang, okay. right? Which was the name of the band. We didn't even talk about my music, my music era. I didn't know. I was, I was just want to outside of my outside of the theater stuff in the in the garage sale. When I came back, I got into a, like a music era and I, and uh, formed a couple bands. 
Oh, really? Uh, okay. To, 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 to do my poetry. So one, the, the band that I formed was Shane. And I was doing my poetry with Russell Brown, Clark Goodgo, Clark Goodlow, um, uh, Brother Mac, uh, Larry Lee, okay. uh, brother called Bink Wills. Uh, so mainly um, um, Clark Goodlow, uh, Russell Brown, and um, also somebody, also Raj also played bass sometimes too. Uh, I should mention Larissa Middleton too. Played the uh, the flute, flute angel. I don't okay. know. If you've oh yeah, that. I know. I know. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. flute angel was, is our. She would play with us too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. then, yeah, that, that and that's when I would do poetry with music. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh. that was my, my poetry with music uh, phase. So do do y'all have that stuff out on like sound, like you say you have some? Yeah, I got it on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Check, why don't you check it out? And then, okay. and then I, I got in a, a, in a I did another um, another group. Uh, for a while, because I, I kind of was learning from the musicians. They all seemed to be in multiple bands, right? Like Clark would do this with one band, and then he'd come around and do something else with another band. And Russell was doing the same thing. And I was trying to perceive my poems or perceive myself as a musical poet, as poetry, as music, okay. right? And I was like, well, let me see. Let me try to do something else with a different set of musicians. So I, and then I, I got into and formed Kachakuwala with um, Pat Riley, who teaches at the Met, right? I don't know, you know Pat? Yeah, I've heard Pat's name. I've heard Pat's name a few times from inside. Stuff. Plays guitar, Frank French, who plays um, Traps. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, I got, yeah, I'll check him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then um, I'm also on there with them on SoundCloud under Kachakuwala. Oh, okay. I'm the poet okay. of, the, of the band. And oh, so okay. I, did, I did different poems with that band Versus the um, Foshang band. Oh, well, dang! Now I got to look all that up now. <laughs> yeah, look up. Go, go to SoundCloud and you'll you'll see it. But that's that's a different conversation. We're, we're definitely gonna have a part two of this. We're gonna definitely have a part two of this. <laughs> of the, uh, do you want you want to? poetry too i want my poetry to be raw um i take poetic license i'm not on the part so much with telling you know i take my teacher hat off you know like right. I, you asked me to put on a teacher hat now right just like just like how you doing sweetie? how you doing uh, oh okay hey i gotta run i was okay. yeah i was gonna say right. make it look all right, man. Take care. Take care of yourself. All right, Vince. We'll talk later. All right. See you yeah, soon. Love, man. Have a great night. Right, Thank you, man. Take care. All right.